Let's pray. From Ezekiel 28, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord." Thus says the Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them, in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Father, this uh, glorious book that we begin today, we ask that you would be glorified in it as we unfold uh, these pages, that we would know that you are the Lord, that we would adhere to your word and that you would be glorified in our lives. Father, we pray that you would protect us from error as we go through uh, this book of Ezekiel in these weeks to come, and more than that, God, that uh, this would bring joy to your people and a deeper, richer knowledge of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So yes, blood in the streets may not be the way most people begin Ezekiel, but uh, that passage from Ezekiel 28 just encapsulates a whole bunch of what we will see uh, over these weeks. Um, Ezekiel, together with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, we call them what kind of prophets? Major prophets, uh, not because they're they're, uh, better than minor prophets, but they're bigger. Bigger, way more words. Ezekiel is one of the longest books in the Bible, uh, 30,000 Hebrew words. And uh, the theme, where's my E4M guys? Theme of Ezekiel. Carl? Anyone else? (laughs) Jeremy's hiding. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. I had to look it up too. Restoration. Restoration. If the, theme, if the theme of Jeremiah was warning, because Jeremiah and Ezekiel overlapped. Jeremiah ministered from about 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem, right up to the fall of Jerusalem. Ezekiel ministers from about 10 years or so before the fall of Jerusalem, through the fall of Jerusalem, and, and on to the, the exile itself. And... Jeremiah was ministering in Jerusalem. Uh, We'll see right away that Ezekiel is ministering to the exiles in Babylon. So uh, these uh, men go hand in hand. You really want to read both of these together uh, to understand them both. All right. So as we begin this, um, you've got the first three verses of Ezekiel right before you on your handout. If you don't have a handout... I see a few more on the table back there, but let's just read the first three verses of Ezekiel. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And that summarizes not only uh, really the book of Ezekiel, but but it's also our framework for today 
um, the visions of God that Ezekiel saw. We'll see it immediately. It'll start in the next verse. Uh, the word of the Lord, uh, the word of Yahweh that comes to Ezekiel. And then the hand of the Lord on Ezekiel, literally moving him uh, from place to place, overwhelming his life. So quickly, some when and where's here. We talked already uh, about uh, when Ezekiel is ministering, but it says it's in the 30th year. The text doesn't tell us what that means. Uh, our best guess is that Ezekiel's 30 years old. Um, but thankfully, verse 2 uh, helps us know more precisely when this is. This is the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. So this is, uh, for if you're scorekeeping, this is 593 B.C. Uh, three exile, three waves of exiles coming out of Jerusalem, out of Judah. This is after the second one. First one, 605, um, and we're taking away the, the king and many of the fine youth of Jerusalem, including Daniel and his pals. A few years later comes the second wave, 597, when Nebuchadnezzar takes away 10,000 people from Jerusalem and Judah and really leaves only behind the poorest, the weakest of the land, just leaves the land desolate. And this is now the fifth year of, of that uh, exile. And then, of course, the, the third exile was after the besieging of Jerusalem the exile and the fall of Jerusalem in 586, and then the final uh, exile then. If you want some more background on all that, I send you to, to 2 Kings 24, uh, where you can, you can get um, all of that. Okay, so that's sort of our when, uh, our where is this Kabar Channel, or sorry, Kabar Canal. Um, and uh, if you have better eyesight than me, you can, you can read that little map there, and uh, you can see over there on the right-hand side between the words Arabian Desert and Elam, uh, a pretty good guess of where the Kabar Canal might have been and would still be. But the big idea is Ezekiel is in exile with the exiles from the second wave uh, at this time. Um, Ezekiel, the man, what do we know about him from these first verses? He's a priest, which also might explain why he calls, why he points to that this is the 30th year, because the, at age 30 was when a man qualified to serve as a priest, when, when somebody of the tribe of Levi was old enough to serve as a priest, was from age 30 to age 50. So it might be that that's, that's what he's pointing out. Uh, his dad, Buzi, um, we don't know anything more about this man uh, from Scripture. Uh, in fact, uh, we don't know anything more about the man Ezekiel uh, elsewhere in the Scriptures, uh, nor are there any direct quotes of the book of Ezekiel elsewhere in the Scriptures, although there are plenty of allusions to the same visions, the same themes, uh, and, uh, but it's, it is a self-contained unit. So, the big contours of this book, before we dive into this, uh, we're going to cover the first three chapters today, uh, which is Ezekiel's call and a vision that he has of the Lord. The next 20 or so chapters are really pointed at Israel. They are prophecies of woe, visions of woe against disobedient Israel. Then the next few chapters, 25 to 32, are against all the nations around Israel. So if you were, if you were here for Jeremiah, you'll see this is a pattern that, that Jeremiah wrote as well. Then there is a turn in chapter 33, um, a call for repentance, and the rest of the book of, of Ezekiel talks about the restoration of Israel, uh, about restoration of worship, a restoration of temple, a restoration of the lands, a, a restoration of the priesthood. There, there's, uh, 
just magnificent visions that we will get to in good, all in good time. Um, some things that I want you to look for, though, as we go through Ezekiel, and listen, I, I, I encourage you uh, to read Ezekiel. If you're going to be here, um, you need to be reading Ezekiel Monday to Saturday, uh, at least a little bit as well. That will help you as we go through this, this study as well. But as you do, I want, I want to put your uh, antenna up for a few things that you'll be seeing, hearing from the text. Uh, Lord God is a, is a phrase that you will see, or uh, I assume in the LSB it's Lord Yahweh. Uh, Jeremy, you can, you can, you can uh, correct me on that. This is over 200 times a reference. Oftentimes we see in your Bible the word Lord in capitals, right? Uh, that's Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. In Ezekiel, you will see the, the uh, framing up of Lord with God in all capitals. So this is Adonai, the title, Lord, followed by Yahweh. So over 200 times in this book, Yahweh is seeking to remind Ezekiel and us not only of his title but who he is, that, that his identity is wrapped up with being the sovereign Lord of the universe. Uh, about 60 sometimes you're going to see uh, the word of the Lord came to me. The word of Yahweh came to me. And this, this frames up, gives us markers uh, throughout the book. If you want to understand where, where a section sort of begins and ends, you're going to see that over and over and over again throughout here. Um, the phrase, son of man, um, you will see. And here, uh, this simply means son of Adam, Ben Adam, uh, simply means human. And as you contrast Yahweh referring to himself as Adonai Yahweh, Lord God, Lord Sovereign God, and he refers to Ezekiel over and over and over and over again as human, you get the contrast. God's making a point even with these words. And finally, if you were, if you were listening as, as we went through that little chunk in, in Ezekiel 28, over and over again, uh, Ezekiel gets from God the purpose of God's actions, that they will know that I am the Lord. Did you hear that in what, what I read as we prayed? That, that in the judgments against Sidon, uh, God's purpose was that they would know, the people of Sidon would know in the, the harsh judgments against them that Yahweh is the Lord. And then in the relief and peace granted to the people of Israel, God's purpose is the same as well, that they would know that Yahweh is the Lord. Um, so look for those as we go through this. Look for those as um, you do your own reading. Okay. All right, so our framework for today, uh, we've already read it in the first three verses. The visions of, of the Lord to Ezekiel, the word of the Lord to Ezekiel, and the hand of the Lord upon Ezekiel. Okay, so... Let's go on. Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 28 is our next section. And I'm just going to get started in verse 4, read through uh, verse 14. And as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, in the midst, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four 
had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. <laughs> so what did, you, what did you hear? What characterizes what, what Ezekiel is, is trying desperately uh, to describe? What are the characteristics of what you, you see, or what Ezekiel sees and he's trying to describe for us? What do you note? Lots of brightness, that's right. There's a brilliance, there's a brightness, a radiance there. And that's going to be a repeated theme. Good. What else? Sorry? The, the glory of God, that's right. What he's beholding is glorious. And, and it is, he is grasping for words. Do you see it? It was like this. It was in the appearance of this. It was as if this. Um, Ezekiel is just, it's sanctified stuttering. He just can't quite figure out how to describe what he's seeing. He is overwhelmed. He is absolutely overwhelmed as he sees these living creatures. Now in chapter 10, he's going to give us their name when he's gathered himself up a little bit more and he has another encounter with them. What's their name? Not seraphim, cherubim, that's right. So anybody who's, who's got a different picture of a cherub, right? Little, little infant with rolls of fat at every joint. This is not a cherub. This is a cherub. Ezekiel 1, here's your cherub. Okay, uh, these creatures, um, similar in form to humans, but vastly different. Brilliant, radiant, uh, uh, Four faces, uh, human, lion, ox, and eagle. Right, the most noble creature that the Lord has made, human, the most ferocious, the strongest, and the swiftest, all encompassed into these four living creatures that Ezekiel can't quite get his vocabulary around. Yeah. All right, we're going to go on because there's more in the vision. Verses 15 to 21. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. When those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Yeah, he's still struggling, and so are we, to understand what exactly are you describing, Ezekiel. Whatever it is, it's connected with these four living creatures because they are moving in synchrony. They are uh, brilliant and radiant as well. And the only concrete thing that uh, Ezekiel gives to us here is actually... The eyes. I skipped it, it's back here. Verse 18. 
He's talking about the appearance of this, and it was as if this, and it was like that, except the eyes. He's just very clear. The rims of all four were full of eyes all around. Not, so, not something that had the appearance of eyes, or as it were, eyes, just eyes. I find that, that fascinating, uh, just, just because every commentator that I read had every explanation of what these were other than eyes. And it's, it's really the only concrete thing that Ezekiel says. There were eyes. Not the appearance of eyes. Eyes. Um, so, all right. What are these? Uh, we don't know. But let me give you something that, that is interesting. Turn with me to First Chronicles 28. First Chronicles 28. David is uh, nearing the end of his life. He's giving a charge to Israel and then to Solomon. And starting in verse 11, David gives to Solomon, his son, a whole bunch of plans. Physical plans, blueprints for uh, structures. Uh, verse 13, divisions of the priests and, and how the, all the work would happen. And then go with me to verse 17. And pure gold for the forks, the basins, the cups, for the golden bowls, and the weight of each, for the silver bowls and the weight of each. Now verse 18. For the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight, also his plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, we don't have anything else to sort of connect these two together, but... There is an exi in existence, or was in existence, a plan for not only the cherubim, right? We've seen, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, so we know exactly what these look like. <laughs> right? But the, the cherubim over the mercy seat with their, with their wings touching one another, there was a plan for their chariot as well. Uh, chariots have wheels. That's all I'm going to say. But could this be a means of conveyance for them? Do they need it? No. Is this God's choice? Perhaps. But uh, perhaps this is what uh, these things function as because they're moving together. All right. We're going on. Verses 22 to 28. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings." And above the expanse, over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness of a human appearance. And upward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So we now see more of this vision. We have the living creatures, we have the wheels that are with them, and now there's a, some sort of platform, an expanse above and a throne above, and Ezekiel tells us this is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh, of the covenant Lord. And his response, when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So all of this, visions of the Lord, that he has given to Ezekiel. And not a word has been spoken yet by Ezekiel, um, but the voice has, has cried out as well. And the point here that we are to get 
is that this is a magnificent Lord that we have beyond all imagination. Um, we can say, we can ascribe glory to the Lord, but we can never ascribe the glory due His name. We, we can work in all the strength that He provides us to do that. We will always fall short in this life to be able to ascribe the glory due uh, the Lord's name. Um, other things that we want to get capture out of this before we move on, uh, the four creatures, the four faces, the four wheels, um, the eyes all around, pictures of the Lord's omnipresence and his omniscience, that he knows all and is in all places at once. Um, several places uh, we, we see the scriptures talking about the four corners of heaven and the four corners of the earth. And, and so this, the, the living creatures of this manifestation just um, reinforce this. You should be thinking of Psalm 139 that says, Where can I go that I would not be in your presence? If I go to the farthest east of the dawn or I go to the, the west, you're there. You're there. Right. Where can I be away from your presence? Okay. We're moving on uh, to the word of the Lord um, spoken to Ezekiel. Chapter 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Okay. <clears throat> so God is speaking now um, to Ezekiel and making crystal clear uh, his call uh, as a mouthpiece, as a prophet before the rebellious people of Israel. Uh, I want you to note, uh, this is not a negotiation. It's not a conversation. Uh, any questions or concerns that Ezekiel may have, the Lord is answering them even as he is, is giving his commands. Uh, and um, we don't have even a yes, sir, from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is just listening and receiving his instruction. Um, if it were not already clear uh, from these majestic visions uh, that, that Ezekiel has already seen, uh, the Lord is leaving no doubt with his words of who's in charge here. Uh, who is the Lord and who is the servant um, the repetition, we talked about this early on. When you see things repeated, our antenna should go up. What did you hear repeated from what we've read thus far? Say again? A rebellious house, that's right. So we know where Ezekiel's being sent. Who else? What else did we hear? Say again? Son of man, Son of man. that's right, yep. 
Don't be afraid. That's right. How about the response uh, to that, that, that Ezekiel can expect? Whether they hear or whether they refuse to hear. Matters not, at least in the sense of Ezekiel's job. Um, whether they hear or whether they refuse to hear. Uh, it's actually providential that we're talking about this uh, as Randy begins the parable of the sower. Uh, and, and we think about soils of the people that we speak to, where, the, where we scatter the word of, of God, uh, whether they respond or refuse to hear. Right. Um, I want to go on. Yeah. And uh, we'll pick up more um, with, uh, with the rest of the, this speech if we just pick up in chapter 3 again and go through the first 11 verses. You'll hear the, thing, the same thing repeated. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Again, this is the scroll before him. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose word you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So God continues to unfold before Ezekiel through repetition his assignment. And I want to look more closely at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Because what we see is this fourfold um, process. Son of man... All my words that I shall speak to you, receive them, right? Receive these words. Make them your own. In fact, the picture of eating the scroll of these words of lamentation and woe um, are, are on this scroll that literally Ezekiel is ingesting. He is making it part of himself. So receive these words in your heart. Hear them. With your own ears. This is the, the first part of this. And then go. Go to the exiles. Go to your people and speak. Speak to them and say, thus says the Lord. So going without fear, um, going regardless of what the response will be, going simply in obedience is Ezekiel's call and his response. And again, thus says the Lord, is what he is to say to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse to hear. So our, our point uh, for us, um, though none of us are prophets or sons of prophets, uh, remain uh, similar. There's an application for us to receive God's word into our heart as, as just like we were eating a roll-up, uh, and making it our, our own. Um, God's word from Psalm 19, verses 10 and 11, 
is described as more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, that is, the rules of the Lord, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And this is, this is the application for us in our lives. And we are likewise to speak God's word. If we have the reconciliation from God through Christ, you are an ambassador for God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. We love 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and that's good. We need to also memorize 2 Corinthians 5, 20 just before it. Let me read it to you because I don't have it memorized either. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the call right before 2 Corinthians 5.21. And our message is, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we have the call as well to speak the Lord's words to others, uh, whether they ref- will hear or refuse to hear, um, in that sense, is irrelevant. Our job remains the same, whether it's a coworker, a child, a spouse, uh, a, a, uh, a fellow uh, churchman here. I, we don't make any assumptions that everyone in this room, everyone hearing my voice, is a believer. Everyone who's in this place today knows the Lord. And so we call one another to be reconciled to God through Christ. Um, so how do you cast off fear of, of refusal, of being shunned, maybe even rejected because of bringing the word of the Lord? Here's, here's the point. If you have died to yourself... Uh, there's, there's no loss that can touch you. Dead men don't fear loss. If you have died to yourself, if you have denied yourself, and you have taken up your cross, and you are following the Savior, there is nothing to fear. What can man do to you? Uh, think of how uh, Paul puts this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is recognizing that his own life is not his own. He says the same thing. He is almost flippant about life and death in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Same way in, in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm torn, you know, whether to be, away, you know, to be away from the Lord is to be here in the body, to be, uh, you know, away from the body is to be with the Lord. I don't know which is, which is better, but he knows that that's the Lord's business, whether he will live another day or not. But while he's living, he's living as a dead man, as it were, because his life is subsumed in Christ. So his reputation, his, how we receive uh, retribution as we share the gospel truth uh, is of little consequence. Whether someone refuses to hear or whether they hear, our job remains the same, and that is to speak the words of the Lord to those around us. Okay, last section. The hand of the Lord on Ezekiel. Chapter 3, we're in verse 12. So verses 12 to 15. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another. The sound of the wheels beside them. 
and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. Um, so these final sounds, now somehow Ezekiel started along the canal, but now he's somewhere else because the Spirit is going to lift him up and take him back to the canal to be by the exiles. But as he's coming away from this vision, there is a reminder even in that, in the earthquake and the sound of the angels and the, and the, the majestic benediction of the glory of God in his calling. Um, and he is overwhelmed. This is, there's just no better word for it. He's overwhelmed with the grief of God's judgments that are about to be poured out upon disobedient Israel. He's, he's just seen and read these words of lamentation and woe from this scroll. And he knows what his job is, is to go to his fellow exiles and call them to repentance. And he knows that they're going to refuse. So he is just torn up in this. And all he can do is just sit with them for a week in silence, as though mourning their own death that hasn't even happened yet. Right? This is Job's friends as well, right? Just sitting and suffering in silence for a week. Okay. Verses 16 to 21. We go on. And at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked... And he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way. He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood... I will require it your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. Um, these are just heavy words because now in addition to the call comes the responsibility um, for carrying out that call. Um, the words uh, couldn't be uh, more clear in verses 18 to 21 in these four scenarios um, to where the watchman doesn't do his job and to where he does. Uh, see the contrast, the end of verse 18. His blood... I will require at your hand. The same thing in verse 20. His blood I will require at your hand. Another way of saying you are responsible at one level for his death. You are, you are responsible as, as my prophet if you haven't done your work that I've called you to do. You are at one level responsible for his everlasting destruction. Now, we, we know that that can't be ultimately true, and we'll see that elsewhere in Ezekiel, but you should let that weigh on you as well. Again, none of us are prophets or sons or daughters of prophets, but we have a calling to go and make disciples wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. And if we have the truth and withhold it, 
The Lord can save in whatever means that he wishes to. But there is a responsibility, if you have the truth, if you know the truth, to be a messenger, to be an ambassador for God with this truth. Um, this, is, uh, this is heavy uh, stuff. It's life and death, uh, the terms that are being laid forth here for us. It's part of why when Paul, in Acts 18.6, in Corinth, uh, he was being opposed and reviled, and he shook out his garments. And he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this is same sort of language being spoken. And again in Acts 20, uh, when Paul is in Miletus with the Ephesian elders, he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. So whatever this means in Ezekiel 3, Paul um, spoke in the same way in terms of as he could with good conscience say that he had shared the gospel, that, that he had been an ambassador in Corinth uh, to the Jews, that he had been an ambassador for Christ with the Ephesians, Ephesian elders. Um, so this is, this is heavy stuff for us to think on. In our own responsibility. Okay, let's finish chapter 3. Verse 22, And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose, and I went out into the valley. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal. And I fell on my face. It's a familiar posture for Ezekiel and a right posture. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you. And you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Um, this should confuse us. Because God has spent a chapter and a half telling Ezekiel, you're going to go speak for me. You're going to go to Israel and speak for me to the, the rebels of Israel. And then, right before he's about to go, and, he, and in fact, he said, your very soul, in one sense, depends upon you taking the message to the people of Israel. And then God says, now go to your house You'll be bound, and you'll be mute, so that you can't go. Um, this should confuse us, and it's okay. But what you need to see in verses 26 and 27 is that God is so, particular, so meticulously sovereign in Ezekiel's life that he is naming every moment where Ezekiel will go and when he won't go, when he will minister, when he won't minister, when he will speak and when he won't speak. Uh, verses 26 and 27, I will... Sorry, verse 27, not 26. When I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. So clearly, in, in, as we look through the rest of Ezekiel, he was mute intermittently. Um, I'll, I'll give you uh, a couple references you can look up later. Uh, in Ezekiel 24, uh, there is the telling that there will soon be coming from Jerusalem a refugee or a fugitive uh, from the, the besieged city uh, to tell him when the city has fallen. And on that day, uh, Ezekiel will no longer be mute. 
And that came to pass in Ezekiel 33. You'd think I'd have that written down. There it is. Ezekiel 33, verses 21 and 22. When, in fact, after the the city had fallen several months later, here comes a man, and on that day, Ezekiel's tongue was loosed. And so it appears that for about seven or eight years, um, Ezekiel was mute except for when God gave him specific instructions to say specific things to specific people at a very specific time. It's just really astounding uh, to, to think about that level of obedience to the Lord, that level of meticulous sovereignty that the Lord had over the life of Ezekiel. Who was married at this time, by the way? So um, imagine the household where, you know, this man just doesn't say anything all day long except when the Lord sends him out to go yell at the uh, Israelite rebels and call down judgment upon them. Then he comes home and, and it all stops. Don't make light of it, but it, but it's, but it shows the power of God over this man's life. Um, so Ezekiel's been commissioned and now constrained um, meticulously. Um, the level of seriousness and attention that God gives to the proclamation of his own word is, should get our attention. His responsibility as a watchman uh, uses the language of life and death. And likewise, um, we should be thinking about what places do we have in our own life where God has made us a sentry, a watchman of sorts, uh, whether it's neighbors, children, grandchildren, co-workers. Where, where is it that, that the Lord has placed you to be the one who warns uh, the disobedient? Um, there are many of these watches that we have, if you just think about your life throughout the week. You have your own watch as well, and that is when your own heart strays or is distracted, when, when your mind uh, puts other things above the Lord, will you be a watchman in your own heart to receive the Lord's word with all diligence and to follow him uh, meticulously? May that, may that be uh, true for, for all of us. Uh, may we take care uh, that we speak Uh, to ourselves, to our own hearts, to others, only that which the Lord has given us uh, in his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the book of Ezekiel. Thank you for uh, these words uh, that we have looked at. Uh, These are hard words uh, to to, uh, understand, but we see the crystal clear call that you've placed upon this man's life to say only what you have given him and to speak to a people who are rebellious and will more than likely not uh, respond with repentance. And Father, I pray for us and for anyone else who hears this that we would not give up hope uh, but that we would recognize for those who are in Christ our ambassadorship of you and that we would be ready with your word uh, in season, out of season, wherever you have placed us, uh, that, that we might warn those, that we might call people uh, to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um.